0: Sometimes looking back can be as exciting as looking forwards. Now over on the All About sites, I did a feature on what I called my most exciting 12 months in smartphone history. Mid-2006 to mid-2007. And not for the reason you might think. I'm not about to parrot other journos by declaring that the smartphone world started in 2007 with the launch of the Apple iPhone. Not even close. Although the iPhone is worth a mention here, smartphones were a thing several years before, culminating in this period from July 2006 to August 2007, when three Nokia devices came along in quick succession that knocked me for six. Now, they all ran Symbian OS, as dominant then as Android is today in terms of market share, in the guise of S60 3rd edition, but they had very different characters and unique selling points. And in each case, I was left breathless with excitement at even touching them. So from 2002 to 2005 we'd had an avalanche of quote smartphones depending on when you started counting. The original definition of a smartphone is a phone which has an operating system capable of running third-party applications. I.e., You can add whatever you need to customise its operation, make it smarter. So the smartphone world had Symbian OS in the guise of Nokia with their S16 nav key driven interface and the series 80 QWERTY interface than Sony Ericsson with their touch interface UIQ. Smartphones also included the Windows Mobile powered full touch interface pocket PCs, many made by HTC but badged by other manufacturers and the smaller button driven, and yes, this is the official name of the operating system, Microsoft Windows Mobile 2003 SE smartphone. Gosh. How do they do it at Microsoft? I still have this excellent example, by the way, of the HDC S730, one of HDC's wing devices. Finally, Handspring, born of Palm, had launched its trio series of smartphones running Palm OS. I owned all of them at the time and I love them. So, recapping, it's still only early 2006 and already we've had tens of millions of sales of dozens of smartphone models. And the first iPhone was still only a tiny glint in Steve Jobs' eye at this point. So when you hear other channels saying that the smartphone era started with the iPhone, be aware they either don't know what they're talking about or they're defining smartphone very differently. For example, as something with a capacitive touchscreen or as something with an on-device online application store. Even then, I'd point out that Nokia had their download store on their S60 smartphones plus tie-ups with Handango, a centralised store for smartphone apps, years before the iPhone's App Store launch in 2008. So yes, smartphones galore, but in most cases they weren't that exciting in terms of design or vision. Which brings me, at last, to the titular 12 months. Do note, by the way, that the phones I'm showing off here are used replacements gathered over the last few years. My 2006, 2007 originals have been lost or lent to people in need back in the mists of time. I literally can't remember. Looking back, yes, of course, I wish I'd kept my originals, which would still have been in pristine condition and probably worth a fortune. (laughs) Three smartphones then, starting with this, the Nokia N93. Not quite out of the blue, since Nokia had done a transformer imaging phone in the Nokia N90, released a year earlier. But the revamped, massively improved N93 here was a game changer for me finished in shiny black metal and plastic. The main claim to fame here was a three megapixel camera with three times optical zoom. This is 2006, three times optical zoom, a relatively huge arrangement installed in the top of device barrel. It also shot cutting edge at the time VGA video, i.e. 480p, DVD quality in the USA, though slightly under the UK standard. Remember, this is an era when most phones shot quarter VGA, 320 by 240 pixels. This was a groundbreaking step up. This also had high quality stereo sound capture. In opening the N93 for imaging or video work, the form factor was just as for a small camcorder and the experience was, well, fantastic. The giant camera's f over 4 aperture is very small by today's standards, but check out the z depth and the three times inline optical zoom. Below the LED flash and video light are recessed stereo microphones and a plastic cover under which is a mini SD card slot. You open up in transformer or camcorder mode and the camera app launches automatically. The physical controls down the right are zoom and shutter, a D-pad for selecting modes and gallery photos, a camera camcorder toggle switch and an LED flash on toggle. A few days after getting my N93 on launch day, I still have fond memories of taking it out on a family trip in the sun to an open air concert. Filming the band, zooming in video was a revelation, albeit with some motor noise when zooming and bass distortion at high volumes. And I realised that for the first time my smartphone could perhaps replace my camcorder. As a result, I never used the camcorder again and the tapes of my young family are still gathering dust in the loft. Don't worry, I archived the best bits to DVD on a rainy day in 2008. As an unfolded Tino in smartphone, the N93 was somewhat large and ungainly. But that misses the point. It's about media, both capture and playback. And in player mode, I landscape here, a little gaming too. The N93 was flawed in two crucial ways, mind you. I still loved it, but as with a few other Nokia handsets through the years, the manufacturer Cheaped out on RAM, so the N93 booted with only 20 megabytes free, meaning that you'd run out of RAM at the slightest provocation. Not good when you're in the midst of uh, filming a Pink Floyd tribute band, in my case. In my open air concert, I rebooted the phone about five times during the afternoon and also recharged it almost as much from an early power bank because the second flaw was that the bulky Zoom camera was also very power hungry. From memory, you got less than an hour's filming on a charge with the initial firmware. Thankfully, the version 11 and then version 20 firmwares came along to fix the RAM issue and the smartphone then became a lot more useful. I took it to several weekend events subsequently and had no issues. But even in 2021, the N93 impresses as a piece of phone design, a screen that not only folds open but then rotates as well through more than 90 degrees in each direction, an analogue Optical zoom control? I could forgive all its quirks and flaws because of its sheer ambition. Think of it as the Surface Duo of its day, except focused on camera rather than productivity. Oh, by the way, talking of firmware updates, back in 2006 there was no over-the-air update process for any smartphone. You had to take your phone to your local service centre. I was on first name terms with my local engineer, trust me. Over-the-air updates arrived in 2008 or so across the board in the phone world. And also, by the way, Nokia had a go at a second version, this, the N93i. But it was a disaster for me. The microphones have been moved to point upwards. The screen couldn't be seen in the sun because they changed the technology and they'd made the battery even smaller. Now, I call all of this a downgrade, however shiny and silver it might be. Another story for another time, I think. Now fast forward a few months to February 2007 and this the Nokia E90 with a little persistence and negotiation with the Nokia E-Series Chief. I managed to get my hands on a pre-release Nokia E90 communicator. It formally came out in the shops a couple of months later. This was pretty special and it was at the time and possibly still is. The most converged Symbian device ever, combining a folding form factor with double metal hinges that still impress in 2021 with full width display and QWERTY keyboard plus super stereo speakers and a better than expected focusing camera. It will be really interesting to compare the speakers and the camera on this to the folding Surface Duo 15 years later. Hmm, I wonder which would win. Opened up, the screens stay securely at several angles or can be laid flat. Note the wear and tear on this particular E90 example, plus some European characters. I've no idea which country it came from. Mostly metal with some plastic panelling to allow uh, RF through, the Nokia E90 was a beast, an enclosed form able to do double duty as a defensive weapon. Even 15 years later, most E90s are still going strong. They haven't broken. This really was built to last. The inclusion of a cover standard S60 screen and numeric keypad were a throwback to the early communicators, but it worked really well for triaging incoming messages and calls. If you wanted to be perverse, you could even open up almost any S60 application on the small quarter VGA outer display. but. Mostly it was about the widescreen inner display with some tweaks to s 63rd edition to allow for a split screen interface where needed, calendar, contacts and with QuickOffice licensed for document duties and still works in 2021. I created a Word file only yesterday. A carryover from Symbian Scion days and from the early communicators, the shortcut keys here, contacts, messaging, web notes, calendar, etc. were a real boon. Plus, there were two custom keys for the apps of your choice. I usually went for podcasting and music. The three megapixel rear camera was excellent for its day, far more than you'd expect for a business device. And the stereo speakers, while not spaced far apart, were loud and clear. Finally, the use of the famed BP4L battery meant a full day or two per charge and 60 second battery swaps with a spare from your pocket. Yes, the BP4L was only 1500 milliamp hours, but that was hero status back in 2007 and among the largest in the phone world. Times and needs have changed, eh? Finally, and most significantly, August 2007, the Nokia N95 8GB. Now, this one needs a little backstory. Back in December 2006, I was approached by Nokia's PR people to be one of the few people in the world to try out and test the brand new N95. It was hand-delivered to me and I duly reported on all the early issues, most of which got fixed. It was, in terms of specs, the prototype of the modern smartphone. GPS, super camera, stereo speakers, 3.5mm out, new at the time, now starting to disappear in 2021 multimedia control buttons on a dual slide, but the smallish 2.6 inch display let it down a little. The poor GPS reception for the then new Infone Satnav, courtesy of Smart2Go, which became Nokia Maps. Ditto the appallingly low RAM. So I was really excited to hear of the launch of a successor just half a year later. The N95 8GB, always in black and nicknamed Black Beauty here, was a huge upgrade from the original with a larger and a clearer 2.8 inch display, better GPS, dramatically more RAM. There are videos online showing 70 or 80 apps running at once with 50 megabytes of RAM free. This was just astonishing at the time. Better molded media keys, they slide out to one side, and a larger battery to help out. The N95 8 gig was launched in the UK at the same time as a big N-Gage gaming platform push. I remember that uh, All About Symbian that I was writing for, only had the one invite slot and Rafe Blanford nabbed it ahead of me. However, the day after the launch was to involve taking the invited bloggers and journalists on a river trip up the Thames, ahead of them all heading home. Now I turned up and Nokia were fine with me, not only tagging along, but also having a Nokia N95 8 gig for the morning. So I was in a surreal position of having the oh-so-sexy black beauty in my hands for a couple of hours, most of which was spent bobbing up and down on a river. The tour guide caught my eye a few times and tried to make me feel guilty for not paying attention to his jokes, and all I wanted to do was retort, I could take your stupid tour any time. I'll only have this slice of high-tech for a few minutes more. Well, until review samples started coming out anyway. Note the way the interface auto switches to landscape, even on the home screen, as with the N93 and E90 above. Try all of that with a 2021 iOS or Android device, eh? With the media controls slid out to the left, the N95 was perfect for podcasts and music, and the mouldings meant you could find them without looking, although they also light up in the dark anyway. My first hands on was enough to make me a believer. An extra 0.2 inch on the display diagonal doesn't sound like much. But on such a compact device, it was a big deal in the hand. Added to display tech improvements to increase contrast and brightness, especially outdoors. The N95 8GB excelled at being a go anywhere Swiss Army knife smartphone. As an N95 upgrade, the only real downside was that the device was a little fatter, the bigger battery here and that storage was integrated a whopping eight gigabytes. (laughs) As in modern phones integrated, so it was ahead of its time here, whereas the original N95 had been microSD, so you put in the size required. At the end of 2007 then, I had all three smartphones in my Symbian stable and rather spoiled the choice. In practice, the N93's RAM limits ruled it out for a main device. The E90 remained a favorite, but was too big to go everywhere with me, leaving black beauty. An utterly exciting 12 months for a phone geek then, especially one with an interest in Symbian OS. Yes, I had a trio on the side. Yes, I had some of the Windows Mobile 6 powered phones on test for my fledgling phone show, which started in January 2006. And well, you're still watching 15 years later. But it was these three devices that really got my tech juices flowing. Was it partly that I was using this tech ahead of almost anyone else in the world? Possibly. But I maintain that the N93, the E90 and the N95 8 gigabyte in particular, they were something special in terms of design.